Right. Would you please turn with me to the words that we read in the, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9, and reading verses 1 through to 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Sixteen years ago, I was studying for a social anthropology exam during the Christmas holidays. Nothing worse than studying during the Christmas holidays, and especially uh, for social anthropology. It's the only non-divinity-related course that I ever took at university, and I didn't enjoy one minute of it. In fact, the very moment I sat down in the very first lecture, I thought, what on earth am I doing here? I was completely out of my comfort zone. Uh, And even 16 years on, I look back and think, why on earth did I choose that subject? I I have no idea what possessed me. We all make choices in life, some of them good and some of them not so good. In Proverbs 9, we are confronted with two choices, the choice of a way that leads to life and the choice of a way that leads to death. And these choices are presented and portrayed as invitations from two women. There is an invitation from woman wisdom and then there is an invitation from woman folly. First, we have the invitation from woman wisdom, and you see that in verses 1 to 12, where Solomon focuses on an invitation to be embraced, an invitation to be embraced. As we come to these verses, it's important to note the context. In Proverbs 1 to 9, we find a father, Solomon, addressing his son. Now, that could be his biological son, or it could be his spiritual son. Either way, this is a mature man an experienced man who is speaking to a less mature man, a less experienced man. And throughout these chapters, we hear Solomon speaking to his son about the importance of acquiring wisdom. Now, at this point, we can define wisdom as the skill of living successfully under God, a a life of flourishing under God. That is the wise life, the skill of living successfully under God. A life that flourishes under God. And so Solomon is saying to his son, I can teach you how to live your life so that you don't need to learn from your mistakes. Solomon is saying to his son, I can teach you how to live your life so that you don't make a mess of it. Solomon is saying to his son, you don't need to live and learn. Instead, you can learn from me And really live. And in Proverbs 9, we find him describing wisdom as being like a woman who gives an invitation. Verses 1 to 6, we hear the invitation. We can start by witnessing the preparations in verses 1 and 2. Solomon describes wisdom preparing her house. Verse 1, she builds her house. She's involved, she is immersed in the whole construction process. And she builds her house in seven pillars. Indicating that it's a large house, a spacious house, a house that can accommodate all those 
whom she invites to it. It's interesting when we see that the house is built on seven pillars. Seven being the number of completion, the number of perfection in Hebrew thought. And Solomon goes on to describe wisdom preparing her feast. Look at verse 2. She slaughters her beasts. In ancient East, meat was a luxury. You didn't normally eat meat. Meat was eaten only on festive occasions. And here you've got wisdom slaughtering her beasts, preparing the meat. She mixes her wine. She adds spices to make it more flavorsome, more festive. And she sets her table. She's making everything presentable for those who will be invited to this banquet, this feast. We can move from the preparations to the proposal in verses 3 to 6. We can see who wisdom sends. Look at verse 3. She sends out her young women. Sends out her friends. Sends out those who have spent time with her. Those who know her best. And we can see where wisdom sends them. Look again at verse 3. They are to go to the highest places in town. They are to go to the public places. The prominent places. the, The places where they are most likely to be seen. Most likely to be heard. And we can see what wisdom tells them to say. Verses 4 to 6. They're to address the simple. Now the simple are those who are undecided. The simple are those who are uncommitted. And they're to address the simple with the words, Turn in here. Go into the house of wisdom. And they're to address those lacking sense with the words, Come, eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. This is an invitation that's too good to refuse. If someone chooses to accept this invitation, they will receive nothing less than life. That is what these women are saying. They are saying to the simple, they are saying to those lacking in understanding, come, enter the house of wisdom, eat the food that wisdom has prepared, And you will live. Then in verses 7 to 12, we move from the invitation to the responses. And Solomon speaks about two contrasting responses to wisdom's invitation in verses 7 to 9. He says that there will be those who respond negatively. Verses 7 and 8. The scoffer will abuse those who correct them. The wicked will injure those who reprove them. The scoffer will hate, completely reject those who reprove them. Meanwhile, Solomon says there will be those who respond positively. Look at verses 8 and 9. The wise will love those who reprove them. The wise will become wise as they receive instruction. The righteous will increase in learning as they're taught. And Solomon then moves from those contrasts to the conclusion of the matter in verses 10 to 12. Once again, Solomon repeats the refrain that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 10. We've already said that wise living is the skill of living successfully under God. Wise living is a flourishing life under God. And in Proverbs 1, Solomon said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of this kind of living. The fear of the Lord is the starting point for this kind of living. And here Solomon repeats that, and he says here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and he adds, and the knowledge of the Holy One, the knowledge of God, is the beginning of insight. 
Solomon then returns to focusing on the speech of wisdom in verse 11. He says that wisdom calls out, verse 11, for by me your days will be multiplied and by me years will be added to your life. The point is clear. Those who walk in the way of wisdom, all those who listen to wisdom's voice and wisdom's invitation will live. And with that statement ringing in his son's ears, Solomon speaks to him about the responsibility that now lies with him. Look at verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. But if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Derek Kidner writes, This is perhaps the strongest expression of individualism in the whole Bible. Such statements aren't meant to deny that people benefit or suffer from each other's characters, but to emphasize that the ultimate gainer or loser is the man himself. In other words, Solomon is telling his son that he must make a choice. He must make a choice whether or not he will walk in the way of wisdom, whether or not he will listen to wisdom's invitation, and it's a choice that he must make himself. Solomon can't make it for him. His parents can't make it for him. His children can't make it for him. No one can make that, that choice, that decision, but the son himself. Now friends, as we consider these verses, we're hearing the call to follow wisdom. We're hearing the summons to embrace a wise life. That is what we see in Proverbs 9. Solomon depicts wisdom here as a woman inviting people to her large home and inviting them to sit down to a lavish feast. And Solomon says that upon entering that large home and eating that lavish feast, you will find life. Solomon is saying to his son, I want you to live a flourishing life. I want you to live a successful life under God. But you need to decide, my son, whether or not you will follow this path. You need to decide, my son, what you are going to do with wisdom's invitation. And that is important for us to reflect on at the start of a new year. You see, what we find in the New Testament is the language of wisdom being applied to Jesus. Matthew presents Jesus as a wise teacher who tells people how they can live a successful life, a flourishing life under God in his Sermon on the Mount, a life that is built on him and built on his word. Later, Matthew writes that Jesus is the one greater than Solomon when it comes to the wisdom that he possesses. Meanwhile, the Apostle Paul writes that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And he goes further and he says that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In his commentary on Proverbs, Ray Ortland writes, In Proverbs 9, wisdom is personified as a classy lady, opening up her palatial home. But what is Solomon really talking about in real terms? Taking the whole Bible into account, this is a picture of Jesus Christ, as a wealthy friend, a wise friend, 
who has thought of everything we need and provided it in full. Quite simply, Jesus is the one who says, Come, eat of my bread. Come, drink of the wine that I have mixed. He's the one who says, leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. He's the one who says, by me, years will be added to your life. By me, days will be given to you. Jesus is the one who offers a spiritually full life. A flourishing life in the present and not only a spiritually full and flourishing life in the present, but also a full and flourishing life in the future. The new creation. The life that goes beyond the grave. Jesus is the one who promises an abundant life. Promises an overflowing life. Promises a deep life. Promises a weighty life. Promises a joyful life to every member of his flock. And all he invites a person to do, all he instructs a person to do, is come and receive what he has prepared for them in the gospel. That is all. You don't need to do anything more. You don't need to do anything less. You just need to come and you just need to receive. And so today, if you're here and you are not a professing Christian... Jesus is giving this loving invitation to you. He is saying, come and live. That is his invitation if you are here and you are not a professing Christian. Come and live. And that is his invitation to you if you are here today and you are a professing Christian. He is saying, come and live. Don't leave me behind. Don't think that you can move on from me. Don't think that you can move on. Come and live. Once again, quoting Ray Ortland, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Christ overflows with satisfaction. All authentic experience comes from what Jesus provides, not what we provide. But knowing that is not enough. We must dive into that endless ocean. That's what, that's what we must do. There is no point saying there is, there is a wonderful ocean of the fullness of Christ. And, and you can just gaze on it. No, there is an endless ocean of fullness of Christ, and, and we must just dive in. There's no point saying Jesus is the bread of life and saying, well, I'll just let, let that bread sit away doing nothing. There is no point saying Jesus is the water of life and, and you would just say, well, I'll just leave it. No, we must, we must dive in. We must eat and drink in full. And so on this first Sunday of 2023, I want to ask every person who's here, how are you responding to the summons from Jesus to embrace a wise life? How are you responding to the summons from Jesus to live a life that recognizes him, a life that receives him, a life that rests on him? How are you responding to that invitation?
But then second, there is the invitation from woman folly. And you see that in verses 13 to 18. And Solomon now focuses on an invitation not to be embraced, but to be evaded. Verses 13 and 14, we can see the description. So far, Solomon has been speaking to his son about the invitation from wisdom. She's prepared her large house, prepared her lavish feast, and invited people to come into her house and eat her feast, and they will live. And now Solomon draws his son's attention to another woman, a woman named Folly. And he starts by describing what she is. Look at verse 13. She's loud. She's boisterous. She's a restless troublemaker. Drama follows her wherever she goes. You know that kind of person. You can be sitting in a a nice, quiet room, and then all of a sudden a person will come in, and they just bring drama. That's what this woman folly is like. Not only that, she is seductive. There's something appealing about her. There's something alluring about her. But she's lacking the classiness of wisdom. She's lacking that wholesome elegance of wisdom. And Solomon says here that she knows nothing. Now, that doesn't refer to a mental knowledge. It refers rather to a lack of moral knowledge. Folly knows nothing about the wise life. And Solomon goes on to describe where folly is. Look at verse 14. Wisdom was busy. Wisdom was industrious. Wisdom was always going about preparing her house, preparing her meals. But folly, look where folly is. She she sits at the door of her house. She's sluggish, slovenly, lukewarm, lazy, lethargic. She's got no interest, no inclination when it comes to hard work, when it comes to graft. She's content to just sit on her doorstep and watch the world go by. But she also, Solomon says, takes a seat on the highest places of the town. She likes to be seen. She likes to be noticed. She likes to be the centre of attention, the centre of admiration. And so whenever she's not sitting on her doorstep, she's going to the public places, the prominent places, where she can be seen, where she can be heard. And she says to people, look at me, listen to me. Then in verses 15 to 17, we move from the description to the declaration. Solomon tells his son about what folly does. Look at verse 15. She calls out to those who are passing by. Those who are going straight on their way. These are people who are living, or at least attempting to live, in an upright way. A straight way. A narrow way. And folly calls out to them. She shouts to them. She's, she's trying to distract them. She's trying to divert them from that path that they're trying to take. And Solomon tells his son about what folly says. Look at verses 16 and 17. Verse, in verse 4, wisdom had told her young women to call out to the simple with the words, Turn and hear. Come into my house. And now in verse 16, Folly calls out to the simple with the very same words. Turn and hear. Come into my house. And then like wisdom in verses 4 and 5, Folly invites those lacking sense to sit down and have a meal with her. Now the meal is meagre. 
The meal is stark in contrast with the, the great meal that wisdom offered. Do you remember that wisdom offered this meal of bread and wine and meat? But all that folly can offer is bread and water. No mention of any mixed wine. No mention of any freshly slaughtered cattle. And so Folly does all that she can to make her meagre meal sound thrilling, sound exciting. Listen to what she says. She claims that stolen water is sweet. She claims that bread eaten in secret is pleasant. We can then move from the declaration to the destination in verse 18. Folly has issued her invitation to those passing her home. She's told those them to sit down to a secret meal with her. A secluded meal with her. It all sounded so thrilling. It all sounded so exciting. It, it, we might say it got the pulse racing. It got the heart pounding. Many responded by entering Folly's home thinking they would have a few moments of pleasure there and then they would leave and they would get on with their lives. And it's at that point that Solomon tells his son that Folly's invitation always comes with a catch. There is a small, pot, small print that Folly never discloses. The person who hears her invitation, Solomon says, doesn't know that the dead are in her house. They don't know that those who accepted her invitation on previous occasions are now in the depths of Sheol. That word Sheol can mean the grave, but it can also mean the shadowy underworld. Many who entered Folly's house never came out again. Many who entered Folly's house were never seen again. This is an invitation Solomon is saying that must be refused. If someone decides to accept Folly's invitation, they will receive nothing more than death. You remember Solomon said, if you accept wisdom's invitation, you will receive nothing less than life. And now he says, if you accept Folly's invitation, you will receive nothing more than death. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we can hear the caution to flee from folly. The summons to evade a foolish life. That is what we see in Proverbs 9. Solomon presents wisdom as a noble woman, an elegant woman, preparing her large house, preparing a lavish meal, saying, come into my house, eat up my meal, and you will live, you will have life in its fullness. But he also presents an alternative path where folly is a loud woman, a seductive woman, a morally bankrupt woman who invites people into her home to sit down to a secret secluded meal with her and the final outcome of that meal is death. Solomon is saying to his son, I want you to live a successful life under God. I want you to live a flourishing life under God. But you need to do all that you can to avoid anything or anyone that would distract you from that path, would divert you from that path, that would lead to your downfall, your demise, your death, your destruction. You need to avoid the path of folly. 
And that is important for us to reflect on on this first Sunday of a new year. You see, what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus, the very embodiment of wisdom, the very enfleshment of wisdom, says that those who reject his wise counsel, those who reject his wise words, will what? They will ultimately fall with a great crash, like a house that is built on sand. But so often the world tries to convince us that Jesus and the full life, the flourishing life that he offers, is just boring. It's just restrictive. I fully believe that's why so many people in Lewis refuse to commit themselves to Jesus. It's not that they don't believe in the existence of God. It's not that they don't believe in the existence of Jesus. They want God. They want Jesus in their doctor's surgery. They want God. They want Jesus in their hospital ward. And they certainly want God. They certainly want Jesus at their wakes and their funerals. I find it amazing that when people never darken the doors of a church, they still want every family worship, every wake, every funeral that is going. They want God. They want Jesus in it all. But they have bought into the world's lie that a Christian, a Christless life is more appealing, more attractive than a life that is fully, firmly built on Jesus and his word. And the sad reality, friends, is that while the world promises so much, it always, always, always fails to deliver. C.S. Lewis knew about this. And he wrote about it in, and I hope the young people have read this book, he wrote about it in his book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. In the book, Edmund meets a white witch. And and the witch promises him a throne. And promises him endless supplies of Turkish delight if he just betrays his brother and his two sisters and gives the witch his full allegiance. But upon betraying his brother... And upon betraying his two sisters, Edmund isn't given a throne. He's not even given one piece of Turkish delight. Instead, he becomes the witch's slave and he receives only, and it's quite interesting, he only is given bread and water. And eventually he finds that his own life is in danger. The witch wants to kill him. And that is what Proverbs 9 is warning us about. It is telling us that a Christless life leads to disappointment and ultimately eternal death. A place in the depths of Sheol. A place in the shadowy underworld. You know, friends, quite simply, Jesus is saying to everyone who reads these verses, don't be foolish with that one life that you have been given. Don't be foolish with that fragile life that you have been given. Don't be foolish. My friend, if you are here today and you are not a professing Christian, this is Jesus' loving caution to you. He's saying, don't be foolish with your life. Don't play Russian roulette with your life. And if you're here today and you are a professing Christian, but but perhaps you've found the 
the appeal and the the allure to to leave the path of wisdom, the path that leads to life. Jesus is saying, giving you this loving caution. He's saying, don't be foolish with that life that you have been given. Don't play Russian roulette with that life that you have been given. You know, friends, Jesus has a loving heart. That is what I want you to hear today. Jesus has a loving heart. He has a gentle heart. He has a gracious heart. He has a heart that is full of mercy, a heart that is full of compassion. He will will not let you enter Folly's house without a final appeal. It is almost as if he stands at the door of Folly's house and he says, don't go in. In fact, it's almost, we might say, he, he stands at the very entrance of Folly's house and he says, you're going to have to trample on me if you're going into that house. You're going to have to kick me under your feet if you're going to go into that house. You're going to have to dig my face into the dirt if you're going to go into that house. I love you and I am not going to let you go in there without a fight, without one last loving appeal. Michael Rogers puts it this way. Suppose the Bible told us nothing about hell. Would that really make the scriptures more loving or more compassionate? Does concealing unpleasant truth demonstrate that you truly care more for others' destinies? What we find in the gospel is that the unique spokesman who most insistently announced a dreadful alternative to gracious, divinely authored salvation is the same great Lord who died and rose to save us from hell. He is so loving. He is so gracious. He is so unwilling that people find themselves in the house of folly. And so on this first Sunday of 2023, I want to close by asking every person who's here, how are you responding to the summons from Jesus to evade a foolish life? How are you responding to the summons from Jesus to evade a life that resists him, that rejects him? Proverbs 9 presents us with two invitations. The invitation to enter the house of wisdom. A wisdom that is found fully and finally in Christ. And the invitation to enter the house of folly. A life without Christ. And the question put to each and every one of us at the beginning of a new year is whose invitation will you receive? Whose invitation will you accept? Let's pray. O Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you and we bless you that your word contains so many loving, urgent appeals from the Lord Jesus, that he is not willing that people perish, that people find themselves in the house of folly, but rather find themselves in the house of wisdom, that large house with a lavish banquet that leads to life. 
And we pray, O Lord, that each and every one of us here today might be hearing that invitation, maybe for the very first time or maybe in a new and fresh way, that we would find ourselves wanting to embrace the invitation, the summons that leads to life in all its fullness, that we would find ourselves longing to be with Christ, knowing the full and abundant life that is found in him and in him alone. Please, O Lord, we ask that your spirit would work in such a way today that none of us would allow this invitation to go unread, unnoticed, or simply discarded and dismissed, but that we would hear this as a precious invitation and that we would act accordingly and that we would walk in the way of wisdom, not only today, but for all the days that you may give, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.